Well, good morning again, everybody. We are uh, just about to close down our study of the book of Philippians, a little letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. Uh, One more week, one more week in our study. Uh, This morning, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 to 13. If you have your Bibles, uh, I want to encourage you to turn there uh, with me this morning. Uh, In the opening uh, soliloquy, that is the opening monologue, the beginning lines of Shakespeare's Richard III. Richard, in reflecting upon the the very positive change that has come about in the kingdom since his older brother has now assumed the throne, speaks these words, Now is the winter of our discontent. May glorious summer by this sun, double entendre, by this sun of York. Now, not for a minute would I want to try to impress you by quoting from Shakespeare, <laughs> all right? Uh, I, I apologize to all you English teachers out there, but I, I, I just I never got into Shakespeare. I was very grateful back when I was a senior in high school uh, that they had cliff notes for the plays that we had to read. And uh, uh, don't look at me like that, okay? No, did nobody else you ever use cliff notes? Okay, now, if you're a student, don't do that, all right? You're not supposed to do that. But it, it sure was helpful when it came to Shakespeare in those days. Um, but for whatever reason, I, I actually I had no idea where that line came from. But for whatever reason, that line, that, that, not the whole line, but that first line, the winter of our discontent, is what came to my mind as I was preparing for this message, the winter of our discontent. However, ironically, it is our spring and summer that is our winter of discontent. <laughs> amen. I, I hear that, amen. Thank you very much. Um, you, you know, it has actually been said that everybody lives in one of two different tents. That is T-E-N-T-S. One of two different tents. Either in the tent of content or in the tent of discontent. Content or discontent? Now let me ask you this morning, which one do you find yourself living in most often these days? The tent of content or discontent? In Philippians chapter 4 and verses 10 to 13, the apostle Paul explains to us the secret for how to live in that first tent. This tent of content, living contentedly. He begins in verse 10, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, the Apostle Paul is thanking them for that love offering, for that gift, that monetary gift that was brought to him by Epaphroditus. I won't go back and review all that, but we, we looked at that a couple of different occasions back in our earlier study in the early first part of the, of the book of Philippians. And he's thanking them for that gift. And he's also expressing to them, trying to assure them that he understands why it took so long, because it's a long way from, it was a real long way from Philippi to Rome in those days, and it was not an easy journey, and he understood completely that they just had no opportunity prior to that to make that happen. In verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, 
whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, the Apostle Paul is a tremendous example of someone who had learned to live in that first tent. He is someone who had learned, that. in fact, the entire letter of the Philippians is a testimony to the fact that Paul had learned what it was like. He had learned the secret of being content. And so that is what he shares with us. Now, now some of you may be thinking, I, I wish I had that gift. I wish I had the gift of contentment. Well, understand that it is not a gift. It is not a gift. Did you catch what he said as to how he became content? The second part of verse 11, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. You know, contentment, in other words, is not something that we're born with. It's not something we inherit. It's not something that the Holy Spirit zaps you with, you know, the moment that you were converted to Jesus Christ. It is something that has to be learned. The Apostle Paul says that he had learned it, which means that we can learn it too. Paul actually goes on to reveal how he learned it in these next couple of verses. First part part of verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, he writes. Now, it's interesting that the word that we have translated as be in need literally, literally means lowering of the water lowering of the water. (laughs) In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, I have been living with a hole in my financial bucket, and it is all draining out. It is draining out fast. In other words, he's saying that contentment has nothing to do with material possessions and resources. He says, I have learned to be content even when there's nothing left, even when there's nothing left in the bucket, even when it is all drained out of my bucket. I have learned to be content. I love the old story of, of a young CEO <clears throat> who had risen to the top of, of his field. Now, along the way, he had lost his family, he had lost a lot of friends, but he had achieved his financial goal and, and the status that he'd always dreamed of. Well, one afternoon, uh, he walked down to the pier where he kept his yacht, lived near the ocean there, and as he looked over to the side, he saw a man that he had met earlier who was a commercial fisherman. And it was kind of, he thought it a little bit strange because he thought, well, this is, this is a prime time to be out catching fish. And yet this guy's sitting there on the pier between his two boys doing just casually fishing. And so he says to the man, he says, so, so what are you doing? Why aren't you out there catching fish today? He said, well, I, I went out early this morning and I, I caught everything I needed to catch for the day. And I just thought I would spend this time with my two boys fishing now. He said, oh, why don't you get out there and catch more fish? I mean, you could go out and catch fish to the extent to make enough money. You can buy another boat. You can hire another crew. And then you can buy even another boat and hire another crew. And before long, you'll, have, you'll be making a ton of money. You'll be rolling in the dough. And the man said to him, well, why would I want to do that? And the young man said, well, this young multimillionaire said, well, so you could sit back and relax and enjoy life. And the man said to him, what do you think I'm doing now? <laughs> Listen to this wonderful quote by a former missionary named Jim Elliott. Elliott was killed in Ecuador by the very people that he was trying to reach. Some of you may be familiar with this story. He writes, Let not our longing slay the appetite of our living. 
We accept and thank God for what is given, not allowing what is not given to spoil it. See, this young entrepreneur in the story I shared a moment ago had allowed his longing to slay his living. Ask yourself this morning, are are there any ways in which you may be doing the same in your life right now? Allowing your longing to slay your living. Here in Philippians 4, Paul is saying, look, being poor even does not mean that you can't experience contentment. Now, no doubt you've heard it said many times before, you know, you didn't bring anything into this world and you will not take anything out with you. I have lived long enough to testify to both ends of that equation. I've done a number of funerals and to this day I have yet to see a hearse pulling a (laughs) U-Haul. And on the other hand, I also was witness, I was right there when all three of my girls were born and all three of them came into this world butt naked. I mean, they were, did not have a, you know, a Cartier bracelet on their wrist or, or Gucci sneakers on their feet. If material things are the basis of your contentment, you'll never get there. You will never be content. But notice, not only has Paul learned to be content with very little, but he also says in the second part of verse 12, and I know what it is to have plenty. Now, my first reaction to that is, whoa, whoa, wait wait a minute. I I can understand the the struggle with trying to learn to be content with very little, but I'm not so sure. But it's a struggle to be content with a lot. I was reading the story this week of a young lady named Jane Park from Edinburgh, Scotland. She was the youngest winner ever of what's called the Euro Millions. That's a, a lottery that, that takes place in Europe, uh, spread across about nine different, at least it used to be, across nine different European countries. At the age of 17, she won a jackpot of $125 million. $125 million. Five years later, at the age of 22, she says that becoming rich has not made her happy at all. She explained, people look at me and they think, I wish I had her lifestyle. I wish I had her money. But they don't realize the extent of my stress. I have material things, but apart from that, my life is empty. You know, my my guess is that most all of us wrestle somewhere deep down with the thought If I could just have that, then I will be content. But, just like the young lady, the testimony of every person who has that is that that, whatever that is, is no guarantee of contentment. It's not. Contentment is learned. And now the Apostle Paul goes on to give us more clues as to how he learned it. Chapter 4, verse 12, and and the last part of verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content, what did he say? In any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, in any and every situation. I mean, essentially, Paul gives us a thumbnail sketch of his life right here. I mean, talk about ups and downs in life. I mean, the Apostle Paul went through ups and downs all the time for his entire life from the moment that he came to know Christ as his Lord and Savior. And he's saying, in all those changes of my life, 
any and every situation, I have learned to be content. In other words, he had learned to accept and adapt to change of all kinds. You know, I I know you've heard it said that change is the only constant in life, right? Well, I'm going to expand that a little bit this morning and say this, that change in life during a pandemic is a constant constant, is it not? I mean, the rapid pace of change that keeps us it keeps pounding us. It can be, it's almost breathtaking at times, is it not? You know, we will have a men's charge in just two weeks. You need to get registered for that, guys. But now it's going to be here at church. We had to change it. We may get to go to school in person this fall, or we may not. We may play football this fall, or we may not. The Cowboys may beat the Sooners, or they may not. <laughs> Congress may pass another stimulus package, or they may not. We may have an election this fall, or according to our president, we may not. We may have a vaccine before Christmas, or we may not. Or if we do, who knows how effective it will be, whether it will be 100% effective, 80% effective, 60% effective, how many doses will be required. So much change. Change in spite of the fact that most of us crave sameness, do we not? I mean, we, we like routine. We like relative predictability. We, we like the sense of security that comes from that sameness. We go on walks in the same direction. We go to eat the same restaurants. We eat the same food at those restaurants. We watch the same things on TV. You know, we sit in the same place at church, or else we used to before we had to change, Right? We like things to remain the same. But one thing that won't change is this. If you base your contentment in life right now on things staying the same, you will never be content. Never. Contentment requires learning to accept change. You know, the Apostle Paul learned to accept change because his primary focus in life was not on his changing circumstances, but it was upon his Savior who never changes. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I think about those wonderful words of of one of our favorite hymns, words that are taken directly from a couple of different places in Scripture. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh, God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Book of James. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. Lamentations. As thou hast been, thou forever will be. Life changes. But God never, never does. So to to be able to accept change, you have to trust the one who never changes. Some people become resentful or they become bitter when when life changes, but not the Apostle Paul. He believed that that God would be at work even amidst the changes. And the result of him him being able to rest in that assurance was contentment. Contentment. Well, Paul learned to be content by accepting change. But the biggest key of all is found in verse 13. 
I can do all this through him who gives me strength. <laughs> now, this is a wonderful, wonderful verse, isn't it? it Maybe some of your favorites, some of, some of yours favorite verse. Uh, some of you probably have it memorized, I suspect, <clears throat> close to it. It's a wonderful verse, but yet people blow it up all the time by taking it out of context. For instance, one of my favorite stories is, is a professional boxer, Evander Holyfield. He had that verse printed on his robe when he went into the ring with Mike Tyson. And you had to appreciate the testimony that, that, he, was, that he was seeking to, to give there for, for sure. But for him, that verse meant, I, I can beat up Mike Tyson through Christ who gives me strength. <laughs> and you know what? He did. He did. But he had on that same robe when he went into the ring with Lennox Lewis. And on that occasion, Lewis beat him up. <laughs> I, I, I've known friends that back in college who were, were Christian students who, who you know, wouldn't study for a test and then claim this verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> and guess what? It flunked the test. Flunked the test. Some use this verse as a catch-all. You know, whatever I feel like doing, God <clears throat> is going to give me the power to do it. That's not what this verse is saying. Remember, the context is Paul's ability to be content even in the ups and downs of life. What he's saying is this, regardless of my financial situation, <clears throat> regardless of changes that come crashing in upon my life, I can face whatever comes my way through Christ who strengthens me in the midst of it all. Greek scholar Dr. Kenneth Wiest translate the verse in this way. I love this. I am strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses strength in me. I am strong for all things in the one who constantly infuses strength in me. Think about that word infuses. As you do so, think about being given an IV in the hospital. You know, all that, that necessary fluid is not just suddenly dumped into your body. It, it is infused into your body, gradually entering into your bloodstream. Not in a bug rush, not all at once, but gradually being infused. What the Apostle Paul is saying is this, Christ infuses me with strength as I walk with him day by day in my life. And how does that happen? It happens by spending time with him. It happens by spending time in prayer as you talk with him. It happens by spending time reading and, and studying and listening to his words to you through his word, the scripture, through Bible. And as you do that, Christ infuses you with his strength. Paul was able to deal with times of need and times of plenty to stand through all the many ups and downs of his life, through every crisis and every change that came his way because of the strength of Christ that had been infused into his heart and mind and soul every day of his post-converted life as he spent time, time with his Lord. Many of you are familiar with Christian author and speaker Johnny Erickson Tata. When she was in a senior in high school, she was an accomplished swimmer at that point, great future in swimming. She dove into the water at Chesapeake Bay in a location that's, and she, where she didn't realize just how shallow it was. And she ended up paralyzing, being paralyzed from the neck down. 
20 years after that event, she wrote these words explaining the secret of her contentment. She writes, there are some days when I feel like resigning from being paralyzed. Some days when my weak shoulder muscles ache from holding up my heavy head, when my back gets tired from sitting and my neck gets a crick from looking up at everyone who stands. I wonder how I've managed to live these past 20 years in contentment. The very idea, frankly, of another 20 years living in this chair gives me the shivers. But I have learned the secret of being content. God's grace is more than sufficient. The strength of Christ gets me through. I'm content, even joyful now, knowing that God gives me strength for today, right now, this moment. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Now, she wrote those words back in 1987. So it's not been 20 years, but it's been 37 years since then. And she keeps right on ministering to thousands upon thousands of people year in and year out. But she has a vital relationship with Jesus Christ in which he daily infuses her life with strength. In spite of circumstances that would be incredibly difficult, we can't even begin to imagine how difficult they would be. He infuses her life with strength. And as she said, she has learned the secret of being content. Friends, you can choose to live in the tent of contentment. You can choose to live in that tent. Refusing to look to material things, refusing to wait until life stops changing, but being infused with the strength of Jesus Christ day in and day out. Let's pray. Father, we we thank you for your word to us, which is uh, so relevant. Every time we open it, it's relevant, but it, it is so relevant right now in our lives. Father, I, I, it's my prayer for each and every one who's, who's listening to these words this morning that they may find true contentment through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you that it's something that we can learn, that we can learn in, in a joyful way. So Lord, I pray that as each one turns to you, the one who never changes, that they might be infused daily with your strength, that contentment may be the place where they live at all times. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.